everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. that I can tell to others of his goodness, of his mercy, of his hand on my life. I'm so thankful. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, I'm gonna turn your attention to Mark chapter 10. And while you turn there, um, I have to give honor where honor is due. I'm so thankful for the young adults leadership team. Uh, Special shout out to the events team they have been a huge help to me over the past five or six months and they are awesome so if you have had fun at an event since like november that's all them and they deserve all the thanks for that um i'm also so thankful for the hussies and their leadership and their voice in my life and uh i was thinking about the last time that i taught young adults which was uh, when we were still at ccs in the band room that was like a million and ten degrees and it was just like awful so uh, I don't remember what I spoke about all I remember is standing there behind a music stand like sweating profusely and like wishing it was over so I'm very thankful that that is not the case tonight (laughs) thank God for a thermostat Um, so Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You may be seated. Um, I want to start tonight by telling you a story about my life that is a little bit embarrassing. But I was like in fourth or fifth grade at the time, so, you know, I've changed since then. Um, (laughs) So I went to a private Christian school growing up from like K to eight. Um, it wasn't an apostolic school, it was just like a non-denominational Christian school. And so by the time I was in like fourth or fifth grade, all of the girls in my class had their ears pierced. And I grew up Pentecostal, uh, and so I was not allowed to have my ears pierced, but I really felt like I was missing out because all of my friends looked so cool with their um, stud earrings. So. Uh, One day, I was at the mall with my grandma, and we were in the store Claire's, which was my favorite store at the time. And while in, not still, it's not still my favorite store, just then, uh, I've kind of grown out of it. But I discovered something amazing when I was in Claire's that day, and that was the fact that they sold clip-on earrings. I had never... I didn't know that product existed up until that point. So when I saw them, I immediately had to have them. Like it was not a want, it was a need. And that's how I presented it to my grandma. And so she bought them for me. I don't know why she was Pentecostal as well. She didn't wear jewelry, but she was like, yeah, sure. I'll buy you a pair of clip-on earrings. So um, the next school day, I show up to fourth or fifth grade with these like long, dangly, beautiful clip-on earrings. And it's very important to remember that they were dangly. So I walk into school. My friend is like, oh my gosh, you got your ears pierced? And I don't know what possessed me in that moment, but I look at her and I was like, well, 
I did get them at Claire's. So I just like let her believe that I had gotten my ears pierced at Claire's that weekend. And so then now that I had told her this story, I obviously had to tell everyone that story because I couldn't let my friend think I was a liar. So every time I was approached, they'd be like, oh my gosh, you got your ears pierced? Yeah, I got them from Claire's. And then that turned into, yeah, didn't even hurt that much, you know. And then as I'm looking at my friends, I realize when you actually have your ears pierced, they use a needle and the needle sticks out just a little bit so you can see it. And so obviously I did not have that. So my story evolved into, yeah, they gave me this like little thing to put over the needle because it was like irritating my neck and my friends were like, oh, cool, okay, yeah, whatever. So I was going along with my story. Everything was grand, everything was great. I looked fabulous. And then we get to library class and I'm sitting next to this girl that I haven't talked to yet and she's like, oh, your earrings are so pretty. I said, thanks, they're from Claire's and they gave me a cover to cover the needle because it was like irritating my neck. And she said, they let you get the dangly ones? I said, yeah, I mean, I have them on. They let me get the dangly ones. And she said, when I got my ears pierced, they said that I had to only use studs for like a year. And I went, <laughs> oh, cool. And the next day I did not have the clip-on earrings on and no one asked me any questions and I gave no answers and they disappeared forever. And that was the end of the story. And it is ingrained in my memory. It's like a core memory for me because I remember that moment when she told me about her stud earrings, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, everyone knows I've been lying. Like, I have been saying this all day, and this whole time, everyone knew I was lying to their faces, and they just let me. And that, has, that is what has burned that story into my memory. <laughs> and obviously, I've had several years to grow and to reflect on this moment, and I realized <laughs> that what I was really looking for was not a pretty pair of earrings, but I was looking for a sense of belonging with my peers. I was the only Pentecostal at my school, right? So I was the only one without my ears pierced. I was the only one who didn't wear jewelry or makeup. And on uh, days we didn't have to wear our uniforms, you know, I was the only one in a skirt. And so I thought maybe by having these earrings, it would like earn me a spot in this exclusive club, right? But what I learned was that no one actually cared if I had the earrings on or not. They didn't like me any more when I had them or any less when I didn't. And I actually like disliked myself in that day. I just remember going about that day with like a knot in my stomach because I had to remember what I had told each person and were my stories lining up and who had I told and who didn't I tell and could they tell I was lying and I had to go all day trying to keep up this facade that like wasn't even good like it wasn't even a good lie so our lesson tonight and and uh over the next few weeks it's all about serving other people and this one kind of lays the foundation and the title of this lesson tonight is who belongs and the answer to that question is really easy actually because the answer is everyone Everyone belongs, everyone, which includes you.
everyone belongs in the body of Christ. And so everyone, again, includes you. The past several weeks, if you've been up here in classes and you've been paying attention to what uh, kind of the general themes of the lessons are, we've been talking a lot about surrender. We've been talking a lot about tearing down walls that has been built around our hearts. Um, and so as we move on into this next part of the series that talks about serving others and humility and God's justice, if you haven't internalized these other themes of surrender or what have you, we need to kind of stop there, pause, go back and get that first. Because if we can't fully surrender ourselves to God, we cannot serve effectively. And that's where I'm going to kind of start tonight. Tonight I'm going to be looking at the entirety of Mark 10, starting towards the beginning um, in verse 13, if you just want to follow along. Um, so Mark chapter 10, the first kind of narrative that we see in this chapter is of Jesus and the little children. And it's a well-known story. It's one that we hear a lot in Sunday school. Um, all these children are being brought to Jesus. And in the culture of the time, in this like Greek and Roman culture, children weren't really regarded as anything special. Uh, in our American culture, life revolves around children. and It wasn't the case then. Um, and so when these children all came to Jesus, the disciples tried to shove them away. They were even rebuked. But Jesus looked at these children who were seen as nothing special, and he validated them and he invited them into his presence. And I bring up this story, and we start here to remember that it doesn't matter who we are or who we were, as long as our past or our insecurities or our flaws are under the blood, we can't let the opinions of others or even the condemnation of others, we can't let that keep us from accepting the invitation of Jesus to come to him, right? Because you belong and you have been invited to serve with Christ. And the saying goes, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? We cannot truly serve others if we don't believe that we are worthy of being served. And it's kind of a weird statement to say, but if you think about the Last Supper, Peter refused to have his feet washed by Jesus. And what was Jesus' response? He said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Jesus himself let Mary wash his feet before he washed the feet of the disciples. Um, being a part of the body of Christ means I owe it to others to serve them, right? And serving brings blessing back on me. So when I refuse to be served, I am taking that blessing from someone else. And letting people serve you doesn't, isn't supposed to come from a place of haughtiness. It's not, you know, I'm going to sit back and relax and let everyone else serve because that's what they're called to do. And refusing to be served doesn't, shouldn't come from like a place of people pleasing. I am a people pleaser. And so a lot of times if someone offers me help or service, I say no because I don't want to inconvenience them. 
but that shouldn't be our mentality. What I've tried to learn and internalize over the past couple years is like, I would do anything if someone asked me to. You know, if someone is like, hey, I'm hungry, you know, help me out. I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever you need. Or if someone was carrying a heavy load and they were like, hey, can you help me? I'd be like, yeah, sure, let me help you. And I am happy, like genuinely happy to do that. So how rude of me is it to assume that other people's offers for help are not genuine? And so that's something that I've kind of had to unlearn <laughs> over the past years is that I actually take away someone's blessing when I refuse to let them help me. So when I say the phrase, we cannot truly serve unless we believe we are worthy of being served, it's not coming from that place of haughtiness. It's coming from the place of, let me be a blessing to others and let me let them be a blessing to me. And another reason we might refuse service would be, of course, pride. Because sometimes we all kind of think of it. That saying that says, if you want it done right, do it yourself. And I've definitely been guilty of thinking that way. But again, if I think of it that way, I'm removing myself from the mission of Christ, which is to serve and to be served. So when I accept service myself, when I accept someone's ministry, I'm having the humility to say, or we're having the humility to say, actually, I can't do this on my own. And I need to be a part of the body of Christ. Um, when we rely on ourselves, like I said, we are removing ourselves from the mission of Jesus. And that the mission is in our, what we have been told to do is to humble ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And that's what we see in the next story of, in Mark 10, which starts in verse 17. And that's the story of the rich young ruler. In verse 17, he asks Jesus, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in his reply in verse 19, says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Verse 20, and he answered and said unto him, Master, I, all these things, or all these have I observed from my youth. And I was listening to someone teach on this um, story recently, and, and I wish I could remember who it was so I could give them credit, but they quoted verse 20 in a way that I had never really thought about it before. Um, when they quoted verse 20, they said it kind of along the lines of, <laughs> Master, all these, these things have I observed from my youth. You know, almost like prideful, like, of course I've been doing these things, Jesus. I'm asking, what else can I do? What else is more important for me to do? And in verse 21, uh, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. That was another thing I had never, I, I, you know, we hear this story in Sunday school all the time, and I, I can't even tell you how many times I've read it, and I've never noticed the word loved in verse 21 before. And so when I was studying for this lesson and I saw it, it just really stood out to me. Jesus, in his love, asked this young man to humble himself and serve and follow, but he couldn't. 
And there are so many different interpretations of this story and so many different theories for why the rich young ruler was so disheartened when Jesus told him what to do and what was expected of him. My personal theory, and I might be wrong, but I have the mic tonight, so you get to hear my interpretation of it, right? If you have a different interpretation of it, talk to the Bowmans and you can come up and teach. Anyway, it's not that deep. My theory is that the rich young ruler struggled with control. He could control his finances. Obviously, that's how he got rich. He could control himself. He had good self-discipline. That's how he has been able to follow all of these commandments since his youth. But to give up everything, to give up that control of his finances, to give up that control of what he had power over, I can almost imagine him saying, okay, but if I do that, you know, where am I going to sleep and what am I going to eat and where are we going to go and what's going to happen to my family? And uh, it's easy when reading, just reading that verse to judge this young man without remembering how easy it is to become him. Because it's easy to follow rules for the sake of following rules a lot of times. And it's easy to just go about our business and follow the status quo of the day-to-day. -day. It's easy to get lost in that day-to-dayness of life. But God in his love is calling us to give it all to him, to pick up our cross, to follow him, to serve others. Too often, we are the thing that is holding us back from following God to our fullest potential. So maybe tonight it is control that holds you back, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's sometimes losing sight of what is truly important. And it sounds harsh to say, but it's easy to do. We see it in the next story in Mark 10, which starts in verse 35. And this story is about James and John. And in verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatever we shall desire. And first of all, I love that verse because it is so funny to me because it's like when you were younger and you and your cousin or you and your friend really wanted to have a sleepover and so you were concocting this plan for how you were going to ask your mom at just the right moment so that she would say yes. So I see like James and John in this moment approaching Jesus like, we're going to ask you a question and you have to say yes. Promise? And so I just love that verse because I think it's hilarious and it just shows their humanity so much. So in verse 36, Jesus, I can see him like rolling his eyes and saying unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? Verse 37 says, they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? 39, And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Um, can I be honest for a second? Okay, I was going to be anyway. It's rhetorical. I have like this pet peeve, and um, 
I am 100% guilty of it, so please do not think of me as a hypocrite because I know that I am. Um, but there's this saying that has made it into like our Christian vernacular that just kind of irks me, and I kick myself every time I catch myself saying it, and that is, I better get an extra jewel on my crown in heaven for this. And like I said, I am totally guilty of saying this, and if you hear me say it, please do not judge me so harshly. I am hating myself for it later. But I hate that phrase, or it irritates me because how should I forget that it is an honor to serve? And it is my duty to serve. And it is what I've been called to do. And let me not forget that I am not earning my place in heaven. I am not trying to earn a spot, a seat next to God in heaven. I, I will be happy to lay on the streets of gold outside of a mansion. You know, Let me not forget that it is my honor. And the Bible says that God has gone before us to prepare a place for us. So we are the prepared that he is talking about in verse 39. While we wait, he asks us to follow and to do what he asks, which is to pick up our cross, follow him, serve others. If we look at verse 43, it says, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you, shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God forgive me if I get so caught up in my to-do list or my checklist that I forget my true purpose. My true purpose is to be more like him, to strive to be like him and to give my life so that others may know him. And that leads us to the last story in Mark chapter 10, which starts in verse 46. And this is the story of blind Bartimaeus. And I think it's important here to just remind us, a lot of times we read these stories uh, individually and just kind of take it out, pick it up, learn from it and put it back. And we don't often look at the chapter as a whole. So I think it's important to note that all of these stories, the story of the children, the story of um, the rich young ruler of James and John and now blind Bartimaeus, they're told back to back. And I see this story of blind Bartimaeus as kind of like this culmination, this tying the bow on the rest of the chapter. And this is where we get kind of our takeaway or our lesson. And so it starts in verse 46 and it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So I like to think of Bartimaeus's approach to Jesus in contrast to James and John's approach to Jesus. James and John, they came to him and they said, hey, promise me you'll give me whatever I ask for. But Bartimaeus, in contrast, his approach to Jesus was, first of all, acknowledging who he was, which is son of David. And number two, he came to him in humility, have mercy on me. And then in verse 48, it says, And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
So just like the children in the first part of the chapter, people tried to stop Bartimaeus from reaching Jesus, but he was determined to get his attention. And it goes on in verse 49. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, he calleth thee. And he, casting away, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And verse 40, 51 says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith have hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. So there's a few things that stick out to me about this story. First of all, his approach to Jesus, like I said, he acknowledged who he was and then he approached in humility. His refusal to be quieted stands out to me because we see that same pattern of people trying to quiet the children and then trying to quiet Bartimaeus, but he refused. The next thing that sticks out to me is his ca the casting away of his garment. I, it feels symbolic to me. The casting away of the garment is also like the casting away of who he was before Jesus called on to him. It's symbolic of leaving his past behind, but it's also a reflection of what the rich young ruler refused to do. When Jesus called the rich young ruler, he wouldn't give up what he had. But as soon as Jesus called unto Bartimaeus, he took off what he had to pursue that. And then the last thing that stands out to me about Bartimaeus is his request. So if we look at what Jesus says to Bartimaeus, he asks, asks him the same exact question that he asked James and John. Same wording, everything. He asks him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee. And obviously he asks for his eyes to be opened. And I know that in this, when this happened, his blindness was literal. But humor me for a moment. I'm an English teacher. I find symbolism in everything. I like to look at his blindness as a symbol or as a metaphor uh, for our eyes being opened. So as soon as his eyes were opened, he started to follow Jesus. So the question that I ask, looking at this as a linear thing with the story about the children in the front and Bartimaeus at the end, is what would have happened if everyone else asked for their eyes to be opened? So what would have happened if the disciples, when dealing with the children, would have opened their eyes to see that the kingdom is for everyone, including the least of these? And what would have happened if the rich young ruler would have opened his eyes to see what Jesus was really asking him? And what would have happened if instead of status and glory, James and John would have asked for their eyes to be opened? And I want my personal prayers to reflect Bartimaeus's. I want to approach him, approach him as son of David, ask him to have mercy on me and open my eyes so that I can follow him. And as I close, uh, I'm going to kind of close it somewhere completely different than Mark 10. But as I was studying for this lesson, there was one name that kept circulating in my mind over and over. And this is where I felt led to come to eventually. 
So even though it's kind of out of left field and it's nowhere near Mark 10, I'm going to wrap up this lesson by going all the way back to Joshua chapter 2. I started um, the lesson tonight by telling you the story about me and the earrings and me wanting to belong to uh, in, this, in this group. But I was looking for that belonging in all the wrong places. And if there was anyone in the Bible who was searching for belonging in all the wrong places, it was Rahab in Joshua 2. Everyone wants to belong. It's part of who we are. It's our human nature. And if someone doesn't know God, they're going to search for belonging anywhere they can find it. And they will find it somehow. And while Rahab searched for love and for security in a job that would ultimately bring her neither, she knew deep down that there was something more for her because she had heard about the God of the Israelites. Before the two spies ever set foot in the city, God had been working on Rahab's heart. And I always, whenever I'm reading this story, I always ask myself the question, how in the world did the spies end up at Rahab's house? Like these were Israelites, these were good people. They had been chosen out of everyone. Was there not like a red flag that, you know, warned them whose house they were about to enter into? Did, were they doing it intentionally? We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. And so I like to think that God stirred something in their hearts that led them right to Rahab. It would have made sense for them to deny her invitation because of her occupation. And it would have made sense for them to refuse to be in the same room as her. But when they met her, they didn't allow themselves to be blinded by judgment or condemnation. They didn't question whether or not she was worthy of being saved. When she helped the spies by hiding them, she showed her the external evidence of what God had already been working on in her heart. And so when the spies recognized it, they had mercy on her and they helped her in return and they invited her to be a part of the body of Christ. God had already been working on her, but it took an encounter with holy people for Rahab to see her true purpose and where she really belonged. And I close tonight by mentioning, by stating that there are Rahabs in our own life. People who are looking for belonging in the wrong places people who are making seemingly the wrong decisions. And it would be easy to judge them because of those decisions without stopping to remember that they're just trying to find somewhere that they belong. Rahab, her story has a happy ending, right? She ends up in the lineage of Jesus. What greater honor could there be? But how would Jesus's line be different? How would his lineage be different if the spies had been closed off to her and they hadn't shown mercy and they hadn't shown grace and they hadn't served her and invited her into the body of Christ. So as we stand, I want you to think about, first of all, if you have not gotten to the point where you are ready to serve, like I talked about in the beginning, I want you to start by surrendering whatever predispositions you might have, any t hesitancies that you might have, any judgment that you might 
have, any pride that you might have, so that you can approach God in humility to pick up your cross and to follow him. And secondly, I want you to think about who could be a Rahab in your life. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend or a family member, and I want you to pray for them tonight, that you would start to see the outward evidence of the work that God is already doing in their heart, so that you would have the opportunity to extend that grace, to extend that mercy, to serve them and to invite them into or back into the body of Christ. So, son of David, have mercy on me for the times that I have been too quick to judge and open my eyes to see the people around me who are desperate for belonging and who you've already been working on behind the scenes. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for where you have intentionally placed us. Thank you for leading us in your will and for leading us to the people who need you. Help us not to be like the children, God, condemned by others. Help us not to be like the rich young ruler, too prideful to surrender. Help us not to be like James and John, losing sight of our true purpose. But help us, God, to approach you in humility. Open our eyes that we may see.